Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. Hey everyone, James Azar here with CyberHub Engage. Welcome to another CISO Talk Saturday special I have an awesome CISO joining me here today. Obviously, we are in unprecedented times. This is the first CISO talk I do in this COVID-19 era. All the content we've been seeing recently have all been done through you know, RSA and different events that we were doing before this pandemic hit. And so today, this episode is going to be focused on business continuity Um, COVID-19 and the stuff we're doing to really excel as CISOs. And joining me is a very special CISO, Max Garcia of Prime Revenue. Hey, Max, how's it going? Hey, James, how are you doing? Thanks for Uh, having me. Man, I'm doing okay. I'm doing great. You know, can't complain. We live in that, um, you know, we can't complain, right? We got to be grateful. Um, There's a lot of people now that are are obviously um, struggling uh, things have really kind of turned over at their peak, and so we, we, we got to just appreciate and take this in. We were just talking to the deers outside my window right before we started recording, so I can't complain. Great. Um, so for folks who don't know, Max Garcia, who's um, – I've known Max for a little a little while. First time we met, we did a tabletop exercise together, and it was, uh, it was a doozy, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and since then we've, we've, we've been in constant contact. And one of the things, um, I think everyone who's listening to the show would love to know about Max is a little bit of how you became a CISO. What was your career path like and where did it all get started for you? Yeah, James, that's, that's, uh, something that I, as I look back on, on how I got into security, um, it, it was kind of a, a kind of a windy path. I mean, I got a degree in computer engineering uh, from the Florida Institute of Technology in, in Florida and started doing software development in uh, various capacities. Um, you know, I, I don't want to date myself, but I'm just doing microprocessor type development, you know, on these 68,000 Motorola processors. And, and that's kind of where my career started. And uh, through the years, obviously, that was an area of, of a lot of interest, and I had a lot of joy doing it, and then began to move up the software development stack, you know, doing application development, web development, um, and over my career, then it just kind of progressed in some of the leadership roles in IT, leading uh, development teams, uh, supporting operations. Uh, and then as my roles continued to mature, um, I, I took on a lot of other roles within IT, not just software development. I took on project management. Um, I took on some technical operations. Uh, and then security started to creep in. And it was an area of interest that I had. And I would say it wasn't until maybe my last two current roles that I've had where security was a full function that I had responsibilities for. Um, and I just kind of sucked me in. I really I really enjoy the aspects of security that are, you know, the planned aspects. And also you have the impromptu stuff that just kind of flares up and you have to attack them. So um, that's kind of how I got into it. I know a lot of CISOs I've met have taken really windy paths to security. Some have legal backgrounds, some have compliance backgrounds. 
you know, they all come from different paths. And I think that diversity really helps our space. It does. The background of CISOs is so fascinating. Um, you know, I've been doing the show now for, for almost 19 months, uh, Max. And if I mapped out people where they started and it was like, a, you know, a Gartner dot map of like, <laughs> you know, it'd be all over the place. That There's just not one common denominator to people in security. Yeah. You know, the topic of our conversation today, Max, and, and your background is very interesting because it kind of brings uh, brings in our topic of conversation is, you know, this COVID-19 and business continuity. And I kind of want to set a baseline before we get into talking about what people should be doing, need to be doing, need to be thinking of, because it's so easy to get wrapped up in what we need to do. But when you and I were uh, talking about the podcast, I said it's prime time for CISOs. CISOs, you're on prime time. You're on Monday night football right now. This is it. You know, this is where a CISO defines his moment forever. You know, the conversations we've always had at different events is, you know, CISOs need to report to someone outside the CIO. And and you'll definitely talk a little bit about that and how, how it works for you now because you're one of the lucky ones. Um, <laughs> but but a lot of others, uh, you know, not everyone's as lucky as you are in terms of who do they report to. But let's set the baseline for a CISO. In, in, in biz, especially in business continuity and kind of emergency planning, typically it's only reserved for the security aspect of it. How how true is that role prior to the COVID nineteen crisis? I would say, and, and this is I'm not speaking for all all CISOs, obviously, but folks that I've spoken with. I mean, BCP for a CISO is uh, a checkbox in, in many cases as it relates to okay, what happens when this scenario occurs. So you typically have events that you kind of practice or have listed in your processes, but it's really a people and process type. Uh, event and or system that that your team either the CISO's leading, and many times it's the CIO or even the chief legal officer. Right, it depends on the size of the organization and those, where those responsibilities lies. But it varies on company size. I think obviously with smaller orgs, some folks are taking on much more than maybe a larger org where you have the resources to spread that around. Yeah, so, a lot. go ahead. I'm sorry. Finish yeah. what you were saying, Max. And uh, and I would say that. Security events is a small piece of BCP, right? That's right. one scenario in a bigger picture. Yeah, it's, it seems like now, though, um, every business continuity plan has been taken out in the garbage because I think no one planned for a month and a half of this. No one planned for two months of this. Everyone kind of said, okay, we could have a natural disaster, a, a hurricane, an earthquake, a fire, and that would set us back some, but not much. We'd be able to move to a different office. We can, you know, put different teams in different situ- in, in different places and continue to operate. The fact that everyone's working remotely from home now has changed that culture tremendously. And the BYOD policy, which we'll get to in, in here in just a minute, becomes a key factor. And that's where people start to look at the CISO and go, um, you know, when I was asking for money for, you know, computers and you guys said, let them use their own computers and, you know, they'll just sign forms through HR. Uh, yeah. the, the, and, and now you're like, um, yeah, should have listened. I don't want to say, you know, I told you so, but I told you so. Yeah. I would say, too, the, the, the pandemic piece of a BCP is a very small section. You know, what do you do in a pandemic? And the one line, I mean, everybody works remotely, but nobody thinks through what that really means from a operations of your business. Truly, everybody remote. Um, I got a lot of, you know, we have at Prime Revenue 100 banks that are on our platform, and I get risk assessed every year by majority of them and one of the questions in those audits is you know what is your pandemic policy and and i look at that back then and you know as a baseline was okay well people just work remotely you know and um that's how i viewed it but now that's a a much bigger question when that comes about and i think people will be looking at it much differently going forward absolutely 
Absolutely. You know, now that we're in the midst of this kind of, you know, pandemic kind of, we're in the midst of a pandemic uh, of global scale. Well, it's really paused the entire global economy, the movement of people, the movement of goods have been limited in some parts of it. Um, where does the role of a CISO begin in, in a business continuity? And and how does what should CISOs be doing a little different now in the midst of this pandemic to really solidify the role in the C-suite executive leadership? I would say that uh, CISOs need to be a, a little more involved in the broader aspect of technology within an organization. I mean, because now that everybody's remote, the scope of their coverage is, has widened, right? You've got people in locations that you don't have control over. You know, I'm sure there was not a lot of thought around somebody working for two, three months remotely out of your organization. So um, I've taken on a, luckily for me, the aspects of people working remotely, um, laptops, all falls under my responsibility. And I, I think that's probably different for different organizations, but I have full visibility. So that was very easy for me from a transition and importance because um, I get I get included in those activities of the business as to, how do we ensure that our folks can work remotely? So the thing with BCP is how do we continue the operations of our business, right? We don't have a physical disaster, but now we have everybody remote. So that's a condition. How do we ensure that our business continues to operate? So that's where I feel I've been pulled into uh, to ensure that those aspects of the CISO are also included to ensure that we ensure that the business continues to operate. Yeah, it's it's interesting because a lot of times when we we talk kind of business continuity and security, it's predominantly around what happens when there's a cyber attack. Correct. That's where it's that's where the only time like you know you can't shut down all your networks in the middle of a cyber attack. We see that now a lot with ransomware, where people just say, "Hey, we're taking down our network for 24 hours, 36 <laughs> hours, 48 hours," yes. and and they don't really have a business continuity. And a lot of times when you see that. It, it, it essentially indicates that they really haven't thought through their business continuity in an event of a ransomware. Um, they're just kind of, you know, reacting as they come along. And, and, and this specific thing has also redefined how we approach security in our organizations because everything's changed. So what's changed for you, Max? How has this really changed the way you view security as a CISO? I, uh, I definitely t- have taken a different view uh, for security, to your point, you know, I've got a security program and it has these formal aspects around, you know, how are we protecting the systems? But uh, one one thing that, you know, when I put together my security program, I, I created a, a strategy or vision that kind of drove how we led the program. And, and one of the aspects which now that I think back on it really has a lot of relevance is um, if a, an event occurs, whether it's security-based, and now we can include pandemics or a BCP event, is to ensure that the business continues to operate, right? So to your point, it's not a ransomware. It's not a DOD, a DODS uh, attack occurring. But now, how do I ensure that I help support the business from an operational perspective and still provide security, And so when you look at kind of how do you, when you look at how that's done today, I mean, I think personally endpoints, the definition of an endpoint has forever changed forever. How do you look at your endpoints today and how do you start to mitigate that in the midst of the, what are some of your tips? I'm I'm not going to ask you how you do it because that's never a question I ask. So I apologize, but I want to say what are your tips to securing these new endpoints for a lot of organizations today that are just kind of looking at it and going, where do I even begin? And can I do it remotely? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, fortunately for us, we, we have uh, EDR in place on all our endpoints, not just for our laptops, but our, all of our server systems. And, and the point of that really is to provide visibility into the activity on those endpoints both threat-wise and just what are folks doing, right, on their laptops? You know, we want to make sure that, uh, you know, we're not trying, we're not spying on them, but we want to make sure that they're using the, the devices appropriately for business. And so being able to see that activity in real time, 
being able to put policies in place and activate those remotely in real time without having to touch those devices is very important for us that we've had in place. And then the other part, too, is not from a security perspective, but let's say there's something wrong with the laptop, right? How do I get on that system to provide them support? So I don't think people think through a lot of that sometimes is, okay, I have an issue, but how do I get to that device? Do, do I have that connectivity there either through a session or an agent to be able to help the user when there are problems? Especially when users are working from home and it's so overwhelming to work from home. I think a lot of people are going to enjoy when this is all over for they're going to enjoy going back to the office for about two weeks <laughs> and then they're going to miss home again. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, we're in Atlanta and once you sit in Atlanta traffic for about two days, you're done with it. You're, you're officially just, I don't want to, I don't even want to hear about this anymore. Yeah. Kind of looking at how does this crisis really change the role of a CISO in an organization? How, how has this crisis really kind of upgraded the role of a CISO? I, I would say that um, leadership now is viewing the CISO as also not just, hey, an issue is occurring and, and protect me, but from an operational standpoint. The, a lot of CISOs have a lot of operational experience and not just security experience. And to lean on them to, and to get their advice, um, I've been fortunate enough that our leadership team has come to me for various items that I didn't think they would ever come and ask questions about and ask for my opinion. So I find that um, that diversity of thought it, at that level and, and them asking is, is to me very encouraging. So what skills do CISOs need to master? Uh, post this this COVID-19 crisis? I think people skills and communication. So when you talk about people skills, there's uh, there's two types of systems, one's with and one's without. I think there's two types of people, one's with or one's without people skill. <laughs> there are people who you look at and have zero people skill and you go, well, that's kind of why you're still stuck in a sock. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you've got people have great people skills and you know that's why they're frontline they're speaking at RSA and Defcon and and and, and Black Hat and so many other of the, one of those what tips would you give people about mastering people skills in this environment to help them kind of overcome that challenge i would say and and i've i've taken a little step introspection myself because I've been in the in the role of software developer. I'm just put me in a corner. I don't need to talk to anybody. Just getting my work done. But in this uh, pandemic that we're in, I have found, especially just working with my staff, the level of anxiety is a lot higher. Um, folks, we have some folks that are single. They're working from home and they don't have any human interaction. I mean, some of us that have families living, you know, we have that human interaction. Some of them don't even have that. So. Being able to have a little empathy for people that, you know, may sometimes, you know, be a little stressed out. I mean, it's just, this is very normal. And, and to find ways to connect with them, have the teams connect with them, um, I, I think is very important. So that takes a little people skills. I mean, to really ask the questions. You know, sometimes people are embarrassed to say that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm stressed out or I don't have anybody to talk to or, you know, so I think. You kind of have to take some of the intuitive uh, links that come in from discussions with them. And what I've done to try to get some of that feedback from them, because I, I, I mean, I know my folks well, but you know, in a crisis, things really change, is I have 15-minute uh, updates, one-on-ones um, uh, with everybody on my team. You know, we have a team a daily update, just, hey – what are you doing today? What's going on? And you can kind of sense, and it's all done in video, so you can kind of see people's feedback. You can see their eye rolls. You can see them fidgeting to try to get some of that uh, feedback from them so you can kind of see where you need to help them. Yeah, uh, you, you brought up such a good point, which is 
in this time, a lot of people are stressed out. A lot of people are home with their kids, with their spouses. They're not used to being around them for this long. Let's start off with that. Yeah. Mo- most people come back from Christmas break, like happy to be back at work, just like done with the whole thing. And before Christmas break, they're just looking forward to it. So, th- so there's that shift. And now, you know, in Christmas break, you go, I've got four more days of this. <laughs> Five more days of this. You kind of know where you're at looking at the calendar. Yep. Now you don't know when this is going to end. Correct. Uh, for us in Georgia, this has been put, put now the uh, stay at um, shelter at home order is effective until April 13th. Many believe it's going to go until April 30th. Most likely it'll probably be extended at some point next week until April 30th, um, meeting the essentially what you know, some of the experts in, in, in the White House and in the federal government at the CDC and NIH and, and HHS are saying, which is, you know, we probably need to keep people at home at bay until the end of April um, to really flatten this curve and be able to um, to get some real numbers and real projections. And people should really listen to that, but they should also, really important, as you said, when you're speaking to your coworkers, people that are living alone or, you know, and, and those are really the most dangerous ones, right? The guys that are, or, or men or women that are living on their own that could be away from their kids because they can't see them right now. I mean, my daughter's in Colorado. I can't travel to go see her. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's heart wrenching. It's heartbreaking. You, you know, you can FaceTime's great, but it's, it's not the same as a hug. It's not the same as the conversation of sitting on a couch and, and having that conversation. It's it just, there's that lack of, of, of human interaction. Um, that, that really is, is the untold, the loneliness is the untold part of this, this pandemic that is very important for people to pay attention to. Yeah. And I, and I would say this is an example that it, it, it really brought all water to my wife's eyes. Like the kids are doing, you know, e-schooling today and, and every day at a certain time, the teacher has a class just to meet with the students and talk with them. And today she asked the question for everybody to just say, what are you grateful for? And uh, one of my sons in their class, they all went around and they went to this one student and he, he just sat there in front of his screen and just started to cry because he was seeing all his friends and he just missed them. I mean, it's just it, w- it was so heart disheartening to see, you know, some of the emotional uh, impacts it's having to our youth. And if it's happening to them, it's happening to everybody. And we're all just, right. you know, bearing some of that. And it's just to see how transparent kids are and, and their feelings. It, it was it was really, really uh, sad to see. Yeah, it's it's that's why it's part of um, part of our mission as as we kind of I've kind of re- started redoing the way I do this podcast from just uh, morning news to LinkedIn Live so people can engage and bring in people on so we can have conversations beyond cyber because guess what we're all still human beyond yep. our CISO hat beyond our pen tester hat security researcher hat analyst hat. Yes. Security engineers, there are people. And being able to have conversations about the economic impacts, the mental health impact, just the quality of life, there's a lot of conversations that need to be had, which you feel comfortable sharing with people who, you know, work in the same field that are going through the same challenge. Because, you know, very few cyber guys are finding themselves out of work. We're not as hard hit as some marketing and sales departments are and PR and HR teams, which, you know, if you look, if you've been watching your LinkedIn feed this week, I've seen more and more of those saying, hey, you know, unfortunately, due to COVID-19, I'm now finding myself having to find a different opportunity. And, and look for new work because our companies just had to cut us down. Yeah. Cyber still somehow, we still have a little bit of job security. We may have had to renegotiate our pay or our bonuses, <laughs> but um, but we still have that job security. And so that's one aspect. But our spouses who aren't in cyber, who aren't in those, and could be in those other roles that are impacted, and that adds another layer of stress. And for CISOs and people listening, you know, we, we ought to become more people person in this time and really practice that empathy aspect of it. Because yeah. a lot of times we're identified as just these, you know, only talk to, leave me alone. Let me put my headsets in. Let me, you know, let, 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 let me tune in. And you're just like, tune out, 
be part of it, talk to other people, jump on conversations, get on some of our Zoom community calls. Um, we're doing now Google Hangouts uh, for the sake of security until Zoom kind of patches a little bit of their stuff. Uh, but if you want to get a link to those Google Hangouts, just ping me. Um, I'll put my, um, I'll, I'll put my, uh, let me just stick my Twitter hashtag here on the screen. So here's my Twitter hashtag. You can DM me. And, and we'll send you our Google Hangouts. And it's open pretty much all day. People can come in there. We typically have five to six people at any period of time yep. just talking about anything. From what endpoint security vendors are you evaluating right now to, uh, to, to you name it, just, hey, my kids are driving me crazy. What do you do with a 12-year-old? What do you do with the <laughs> 8-year-old? Um, <laughs> we've, we've finished all of Netflix. We're now starting Disney+. Plus. You know, yeah. let you know what, what happens after Disney+. Plus. It's, it's, it's a challenge. It's, it's, there's a human toll to this, to this thing, and it, it's a challenge. And I'm glad, Max, we're able to talk about it openly. I think so, so often people are so focused on that business aspect of cyber, and we should be, not to ignore it, but when yep. we get out of this, and we will get out of this, folks, we're going yep. to get out of this. I agree with you. These people are going to come back, and they're going to be different. There's going to be an, an inherent difference in a lot of people, and we, we ought to start identifying that and mitigating that and helping them kind of realize, hey, there's an end date. Yeah, you don't know what it is. You can't point at the calendar and say May 1st, but I can tell you it's coming, and when it, when it gets there, when we get back to the office and things start to get somewhat normal, we'll, we'll be able to kind of revamp those conversations and and those relationships and it's heartbreaking to hear about your your son's class classmates just kind of breaking down like that it's 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 heartbreaking to see the toll it takes on kids because even in my subdivision 600 and some odd homes you know you typically see kids riding their bikes and scooters and, and we have a great safe neighborhood here and you don't see them you don't hear them yeah. I mean, like I said, deers are just roaming our neighborhood freely. That wasn't a thing. You'd see the deers typically around sunset, not at, you know, one thirty in the afternoon. Um, yeah. For folks wondering, we're recording this at one thirty in the afternoon. So yeah. um, there's that. Um, Max, let's talk a little bit about CISO primetime. The board. Oh, CISOs, how we can elevate ourselves to the boards now with this crisis. What are you telling the board after this crisis? How are you leveraging this opportunity now to really go in front of the board, probably for the first time ever unfiltered, um, and, and yep. really maximize your value? Yeah, I, I would say that um, the first question and, and, and probably what I would share is, you know, they, they, they see the, the BCP policy, they see your security program, and I think uh, my first discussion would be with them is, what are the results, right? Is it, you know, it's called uh, after after party, you know, summary of, of how did we do with the uh, the crisis that we in, endangered? What gaps did we have? Fortunately for us, that is going to be probably an easier conversation. And, and, and the word I want to use is lucky, because I think our, our CEO defines luck in a very special way. It's called preparedness meets opportunity. Everybody can have be lucky, right? If they prepare and the opportunity presents itself, we're all going to be lucky. So I, I would say prime revenue has been lucky in that the approach of this crisis, the transition to this crisis, uh, the supporting of the business during this crisis has been pretty seamless. Um, and, and we get that feedback from our organization, from our users, from our clients. I mean, we, just, we haven't skipped the B, so I would say from that aspect, it's been, uh, I think, well executed. As far as gaps, things where I see we could improve, um, I would say that, you know, you have vendors today, right? You, you, our, our environments have third-party vendors that we depend on to deliver our services. We have found some of those vendors in this crisis where everybody's working from home, can't handle the volume, the capacity of, you know, video conferencing and phone calls and, and instant messaging. You find some are doing better than others. So the ability to um, have backups to those services and or parallel services to mitigate business risk, I think is important. Um, 
luckily for us, we've had some areas where we have do backups and some areas where we don't. And I, I do see some gaps at some point where um, that may be something we want to do uh, going forward. And then the other part, too, is um, BYOD, you know, really look at that policy uh, a lot closer and see if there may, just, may be some investment areas we may do there to help improve and, and reduce risk in that area. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think for a lot of systems listening and watching, I mean, this crisis is going to bring, when all of this is over, around summertime, there's going to be a big board meeting when this is all over, May, June, July, whenever that is, and you're going to get called into that board meeting and it's your prime time. It's your Monday night football. It's it's the bright lights. It's 100,000 people in the stands. Uh, and every move you make, every word you say ha- will have an impact on the future of your role and the capacity of your role and the changes you want to see happening in your role in order to be able to execute your role so much better. And, yep. and you know, th- th- there's there's a little bit of a silver lining to this. Max, you started referring to a little bit of the, you know, your supply chain and, and risk mitigation and, and, and so forth and kind of looking at that with the board. You're, you're absolutely right, which is this crisis has really brought to, sh- to light, I think, almost the, the irrelevancy of a third party due diligence document <laughs> um, because it pretty much means nothing um as you've noticed some of them that have looked really bad are operating great and some of them that have looked top notch like wow are just really really bad so what lessons have you learned from it and and what are you taking out of it to implement going forward in the business yes i I, that's um we have some areas where we've had multiple parties supporting certain aspects and services within our which has helped us balance that risk but we have some areas where there's a single vendor, right? And, and you're really counting on them to uh, provide those services. So what, what to me, I've learned a lot is who's, who are really your partners, right? When you have these third-party vendors, it's not just a service provider. I really view them as partners in our business. And when the times get tough and you need a help with something, are they there for you, right? And, and mind you, I know technology there's always problems with technology at times. There are issues. But when there are issues, are they being transparent with you? Are they telling you the truth? And that's how I like to run our operation. We're not perfect. We have things in place, but things sometimes go sideways. But you got to be transparent. Because to me, the biggest part of a partner is trust. If you break that trust, how can I depend on you when I really need you? So to me, uh, it. I'll be reevaluating some of the partners that we have. Um, some have really stood up and, and stood out during this crisis. And uh, to me, you know, and, and trust is not something you buy, right? That's something that has to be earned. And, and yes, you can sign an MSA and you've got a partner, but really it takes time uh, working with that vendor uh, to really build that up and earn it. Uh, you know, contracts and MSAs, they're great for defining and they're great for divorce. And the middle part of that, you know, marriage is built on trust. Yes. And, um, you know, a prenup is only, you know, for, it's it's almost like insurance. It's, it's when stuff happens, but a prenup doesn't define a marriage. The trust does. And, yep. and, and with, with our supply chain, we, we often, you know, you, you and I both have gotten those emails from overzealous uh, folks trying to, tell us that they can solve all of our worldly problems by just buying one thing. And, and you and I both know that it's never one thing. It's, it's, it's a series of things, um, you know, and, and, and being able to, 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 to take care of it. And so I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of vendors in our supply chain and several of the supply chains where I work with Max, where um, we'd send emails, phone calls, nothing for days, just radio silence. It's almost like the ground swallowed them whole. Yep. Uh, and, and and the excuses were adjusting. Were you know, it's a, answer an email, man. Just say, hey, we're you know, set an auto reply. Yep. It's it's really simple. I mean, commu- for for people listening, set an auto reply. If you're overwhelmed, set an auto reply. Let me know that it's going to take you two days to answer this specific email. 
And I'll know that you're overwhelmed. I'll appreciate the fact that that you are. I mean, everyone understands that no one planned. Not many people planned for this. <laughs> not many people were ready for this. N- no one, n- I think neither myself and, and Max, I can say it on your behalf. We're human. We understand there are, you know, exigent circumstances and, and none of it is your direct responsibility. Employee number 171 at a, at a, at company a, yeah. but, um, but the, the, there is more, you know, just be human and communicate with people. It's so important right now because when people get out of this, they're going to leave you. And yep. there's going to be, there's lawyers right now that are looking at clauses in, in those contracts and going, well, what they're doing here violates this clause, this clause, this clause, and that letter's being drafted. And when they find someone else to replace you, you're going to get that letter of, uh, hey, we're terminating our contract and going somewhere else. And then you're really going to be in a world of hurt. Yeah. And, and so, the one the one thing that you know which is going to be unfortunate is we don't know how long this crisis is going to to occur. You know, everybody's out of work, you know, which vendors are going to survive financially. Right. Know? So the fallout from that, you know, hopefully it's not a lot, but being able to pivot quickly if if one of your vendors is one of those unfortunate ones that may have to go, you know, not stop terminating their services and having to find somebody quickly to replace them. I, I made a prediction last year, and I said that within three to five years, we will see seven to about 10 top security vendors that'll have everything under their roof. And someone we were at, a it was a CISA roundtable we had here in Atlanta. And I don't know if you were there, Max, but someone started arguing with me. It was about 20 of us. And someone started arguing with me and he goes, James, that's not going to happen. He goes, listen, there's going to be more innovation, more orchestration. I was like, listen, it's inevitable. Money rules everything and people are going to acquire. Well, lo and behold, here we are, midst of this crisis, I can tell you, I know firsthand knowledge that some of the big companies that I predicted, Amazon, Facebook, Google, um, uh, Cisco, IBM, all those companies that have billions and billions stashed are now looking at buying companies for pennies on the dollar because they can. I've been eyeing this company for 9, 10, 11 months, 15 months. We've been looking at them, strategic partnership, whatever. Now this crisis has really paralyzed them. I can go buy them for 25% of what I would buy them for in a good market. And I'm going to because they need the money. Yeah. And it's going to create this, this 10 giant security companies, right? The, you know, the IBMs, the Cisco's, um, uh, the Facebook's, the Amazon's and, and, and so forth. I mean, AWS already has their own cloud security MSSP, but, um, but but there's there's more um, there there's more more there as well. Um, it's it, we're we're in the midst of this, and it's going to be the our industry is going to look different in a year from now. It, it will. will, yeah. And and speaking of different a year from now, Max, what secu- now as we look to hire new people, what skills are you looking for? Kind of in the midst of this, what skills have you realized now? You know what? I was always looking for these roles or these skills. They're not relevant anymore. I really need to focus on these skills. I would say that um, obviously as every security team, you want the brightest and the smartest on your team, right? That's in security. Um, But something that I've looked at in the past and, and I see where there's a lot of value is you have the human aspect, but a security person that has is rather wide than it is deep. Somebody who knows networking, who knows infrastructure, who knows endpoint. They don't have to be the red team, blue team type of guy, but folks with knowledge, broad knowledge across how all these systems work and how they interact is really where that sweet spot is because you can deploy them in various events, crises, or tasks and not have to worry about it, right? You don't have to get a different you know, resource to do just networking or just infrastructure. Security can be an additive function that can help those staffs that may be overwhelmed. You know, my security team is helping our EDR team. They're helping our infrastructure teams because they need help. And and, and that reuse of the resource is beneficial for the team and the business. 
I have a feeling we're going to see a post COVID nineteen certification come out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be IC Squared or CompTIA or EC Council. Someone's going to come out and it's going to be like like a certified remote security operations expert. Yeah. Like it's just it's going to be a role at some point at some time. Uh, Max kind of transitioning a little bit to this whole BYOD working from home. We're seeing a lot of the threat actors now really focus on as with social media, specifically LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, to really engage and and, and spread malware. Um, how do we as CISO start to look at social media's threat vector, and how do we even start considering securing it? Because we really have no control over what happens there, what links, what posts people click who they engage with on, on IM or through messaging services and, and, and share stuff with that could be, you know, filled with malware, could be filled with, um, you know, ransomware, viruses, Trojan, uh, Trojans, uh, you know, trick bots, you name it. Yeah, I, I think that, and we touched on this earlier in our conversation, EDR is going to be very important. Um, the, the threats and the threat vectors on social media continue to evolve and will continue to evolve going forward. Um, all our resources are remote. You can't stop them for every, <laughs> every click and, and, and search that they're doing. So EDR's ability to uh, get ahead of the kill chain when things begin to occur, uh, detect and respond to those as quickly as possible, I think is very important. Uh, and you'll see EDR tools continue to evolve and take in more responsibilities as it relates to blocking, protecting, and detecting um, threats and mitigations. Uh, and I think, and this may be overused at times, but with the advancements in artificial intelligence and machine learning added to those tools, they will be much more effective. Yeah, I, I, I fear social media not for you know specifically my employees but their kids same home network most people don't segment their home networks kids are sitting on the same home network as the parents um no firewall or you've got typically you have a firewall but it's one that you don't see it's one that you don't control it's one you don't have access to set up by your cable provider um, which is pretty easy to beat and so this is where I look at that threat vector, and one of the things I've I've done, um, Max, is actually I've created this really fun um, um, PDFs for parents working from home with their kids, um, and it's just letting the kids know, like, don't talk to strangers, or if you click on something that does something weird to your phone, like uh, a blue screen, a black screen, um, all of a sudden you see something launch and disappear, let your parents know right away um, so they can check out your phone. You're not in trouble. You know, Just let them know so they can at least notify us so that we can mitigate you know, the, the, the device if, if, it's, if it downloaded something right away. Yeah, and that's the whole point of. I know this is difficult for, you know, folks can focus on this related to work, but I view um, this remote work, just business and home. It's it's all a gray area at this point. You know, we we try to um, ensure that when we do security awareness training for our organization, that it's not just work related material, but also home related because it's all tied together. You know, they're doing work stuff on home stuff and they're doing home stuff on work devices. So it, 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 educating your users on the threats and the vectors. And, and to your point, I think that's a great idea of very simple things to do and what we would call basic security practices. I mean, you do the basics that protects you against probably 80 percent of the threats that are out there. Absolutely. Just your basic blocking and tackling. Having a good offensive line and a good defensive line is the secret to winning a Super Bowl. Yes. And it's the same in, in security. Having a good defensive and offensive lines in terms of your security posture are good ways to block you know, and, and give your quarterback a chance to, to get the ball down the field. Um, as we kind of wrap up, I, I, 
let's let's take let's take a trip to my uh, graveyard of buzzwords. And if you could throw any buzzwords into the graveyard and bury it six feet, which buzzword would it be, Max? I think you. Hopefully, you have this one already. But digital transformation. Yeah, it's it's out there. I'm looking right now out my window. Okay. I, I see I see the headstone. Digital transformations getting another an, 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 another body in there. It's it's a it's 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 bad in digital yeah. transformation. Yeah, I mean, if, if folks are behind, I mean, if they're still in that process, I mean, they're they're behind the eight ball, and and, and the risks are, are very high. Um, just from a survivability of the organization and the future. I mean, I yeah, they're. They're going to be in a very, very difficult place. Yeah, um, and, and I'm sure this pandemic has probably brought a lot of that to light now too. I mean, you've those, seen the memes. Yeah, those organizations that are behind the eight ball are probably in a lot of pain right now. You've seen the memes on, I'm sure, LinkedIn and social media on Twitter and Reddit. Uh, who drove digital transformation in your organizations? Your CEO, your CTO, or COVID nineteen? Right. Um, yeah. Pretty pretty interesting that they didn't have the money to do any of this, and now you don't have a choice but to do it. And and welcome to the, to that era. Yeah. And and in closing, really, before we kind of close, what technology do you see really changing cybersecurity going forward? Um, I would say the use of huge data sets that are training artificial intelligence, machine learning to enhance security tools in their detection and response to threats. Um, it's an area that I've been very interested in the last couple of years. I've got one deployed that has similar technology. And it's, it's, it's amazing um, how that has improved the responsiveness when that kill chain begins to be executed and those tools being able to detect, notify, and remediate in, in a timely fashion without having a body doing to it. So I, I think there's a lot of area, a lot of growth in that area that it's going to be very encouraging to see in the future. Yeah, I think data analytics in cyber is something fairly new. Shout out to Ken Viciano over at Fiserv. He's kind of that guy. He's the data guy for the cyber team at, at, at Fiserv. And I had him on the podcast earlier for those kind of listening and watching. If you really want to understand what Max just said, Ken and I took a deep dive back when people could sit across from each other and have a conversation. He was here in my studio. It was it, it was ugly back then. It wasn't even this nice studio. We had just moved into my uh, home studio and we had a really, really ugly blue backdrop that we use. And it was just, it was bad. Um, I always look back at some of our old stuff and I go, what were we thinking? Like hit me over the head folks. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but you can absolutely check that out. That's the episode with Ken Viciano. You can see it on our website at cyberhubengage.com or any of our social media, especially in our YouTube page at cyberhubengage, which let me get you guys our YouTube um, Cyber Hub Engage right now on the screen, right here on the bottom. You guys can check that out. I will say this, Max, you've given, you've dropped a lot of knowledge, and I kind of want to summarize what you've said, and and give you what to give your your parting last words to this, which which I think you you have a lot of wisdom to share, because you guys kind of, um, you, you've shared a lot about the the challenge the excitement for CISOs in this time of being able to develop better relationships with their people, uh, develop new new skills that are going to be needed to succeed in, in, a, in a leadership role in general, but also in, in a leadership role with the title of Chief Information Security Officer. As you kind of sign off, as you look forward um, to, to kind of this pandemic and then the aftermath of it and the second wave that's going to come over to fall, how are you what are some of your parting words to other CISOs in terms of what's coming next? How do we prepare and how do we come together as a community to really support each other and not blast each other on LinkedIn? Thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do agree that um, down the road and, and, and this is occurring now and I just see this is going to accelerate is the collaboration of threat intelligence and security folks working together to mitigate risk Um as the security industry grew up, everybody was protective of, you know, I had this occur, I had that occur. 
but there are a lot of great organizations that are collaborating on threat intelligence, sharing of information um, of what those threats are. And I think that's going to accelerate here in the future because one organization can't protect against everything, but collectively we can learn a lot from each other and share that information without giving out company secrets or IP. I, I think um, that can be done and is being done. And I really look forward to, to doing that in the future more. Me too. I, um, it's really interesting. Um, every day in my, on my phone, I get an alert and it's a COVID-19 update and it's a, all in Hebrew. But it's a COVID-19 cybersecurity update from the Israeli CERT. And it's all in Hebrew. So what I've said is effective next week, I'll start translating it and sharing it with everyone through our newsletter at CyberHub Engage. I'll record it and post it on my LinkedIn page as well and on our audio channel. And because it's great information, they're talking about different phishing schemes, where they're originating, different ransomware attacks, practitioner information that we all need to know coming live daily. I get it around uh, midnight, um, 1 a.m. our time. And so I'm thinking I'm going to change a little bit my hours, record this right when it comes out so people can get it as as it kind of goes out from there um and 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 put it out put put out this information and, and let people have it so that you can you know you see it at 8 a.m before you start your day you're able to go hey are we watching this because here's an attack that's happening in you know in europe on these financial organizations or these healthcare organizations and here's the title to the phishing email that's really starting all of this problem yep and and you mitigate Absolutely. And so that that's our goal. Max, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come on, on the show and really speak with us. This was awesome, just great stuff. And, and, and I'm grateful for your support, your friendship, and, and, and coming on the show. I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Thank you. Yeah, James, thank you for your time and, and to your audience. Uh, hopefully everybody stays safe. Hang in there. We'll get through this. Uh, I know you can't see the, the forest through the trees right now, but but we'll get there. We'll be safe. Yeah, we will get there, as Max just said, folks. Um, that's it for us here on this CISO Talk Saturday special. You can engage with us, hashtag CISO Talk, on any of your favorite social media platforms. Um, those of you who, who've emailed, who email, can obviously do so through our cyberhubengage.com website. You can also engage with Max on uh, LinkedIn and, and, and so many other spots, um, folks. He'll be tagged in these posts. Um, and we'll put his uh, LinkedIn um, um, link in the description of this podcast for those listening so you can connect with Max. He's a true of knowledge, just a person who's always willing to share, um, always willing to kind of take some time and help others um, who, who do need it. And if you're going to approach him and you're going to try to sell him something, here's one tip from Max. Don't oversell. <laughs> just be human. Human interaction. Yes human interaction folks it matters in these times more than ever that's it for us here at cyber heaven gauge guys thank you so much for uh tuning in thanks so much for listening thank you for those who are watching and we'll have so much more for you guys later um next week and and, and in the weeks after that as we kind of uh hopefully be on the tail end of this pandemic till next time folks enjoy the rest of your uh your saturday which probably seems like every other day at this point um but it is saturday so go out enjoy it um spend some time in your backyard with your family you know turn on the grill um put some steaks on there pour yourself a cold one or a good glass of scotch and just appreciate the fact that we're alive we're well and uh, we're not stranded somewhere in the middle of the world we are in the greatest country on earth that's it for me here we go folks james azar Enjoy the rest of your weekend.